within the next 10 years, large language models will be able to outperform humans uh, every economically valuable task within a service organization. Large language models will fundamentally disrupt the way businesses operate across every function in every sector. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the DC Tech Talks podcast. The following is a conversation with Joseph Twig. Joseph is the CEO of Aveni, an award-winning Edinburgh-based rectech company specializing in AI-driven risk assurance solutions. Prior to founding the company, Joseph spent 15 years working in the investment industry in Edinburgh and London, laterally as the head of strategy and business management for Aberdeen Standard Investments. Joseph holds postgraduate qualifications from Stanford University in strategy and risk management, an executive MBA from the University of Edinburgh, a BSc in biotechnology and applied genetics, as well as several certifications in investment and finance. There is a lot of hype around large language models. So I just wanted to ask you about what exactly those are and maybe if you could touch on the demand or the importance of such language models in financial services. Sure. So a large language model is essentially when boiled down a next word predictor. It's a, a large machine learning model trained on, if you take the example of chat GPT, essentially trained on the internet, so trained on billions of data points and enables core capability like understanding context, summarizing text, generating text, question answering. ChatGPT has really surprised everyone. So from you know NLP scientists all the way through to the general public. Uh, on the upside uh, in terms of its capability. In terms of financial services, you know, natural language processing has been deployed in multiple guises over a number of years. Anything from sort of speech analytics within uh, contact centres through to some, you know, basic document generation within legal services and, and, and things of, of that nature. The seeping of, of chat GPT into the general consciousness of people has, has really changed things. So over the last couple of months, when we've been out on the road as a business, talking to different companies across wealth, financial advice, banking, everybody, literally everybody, has something happening with ChatGPT. So executive asking questions on how it can be adopted, C- CTOs starting to sort of build plans. I think all you really need to think about in this context is how companies of the stature of Google and Microsoft are so flustered about this technology. You know, Google wiped $170 billion off its own share price with a botched release of its large language model Bard. Microsoft has pushed out a GPT being integration within a couple of months completely out of character for that organization. They clearly understand that this technology is going to have an impact across every business in every sector within every function. It will fundamentally change the way businesses operate over the next few years. They get that and it's a super, super interesting space. So I guess on that note of natural language processing or large language models changing how everything functions. Do you mind just giving some 
some of the big use cases or some of the pivotal moments that are causing this big hype or this, I guess, explosion of interest in this technology? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the use cases are really broad. But if you step through a typical sort of end-to-end process, maybe for a business, selling a product or a service, so starting with sales, for example, sales and marketing, all of a sudden, any copywriting, any PR, any content creation, you have a new starting point. You're basically asking the large language model to write your content for you, and that's where you start in the completion. So material efficiencies to begin there, and that's just using an off-the-shelf large language model rather than any you know, material additional systems to be developed. I think there's going to be material impacts almost immediately there. Stepping into sales, you know, at least initially, sales assistants that can essentially offer prompts, nudges to sales professionals on opportunities that can attend meetings, that can assess sales effectiveness. The next stage of that is early stage pipeline management being automated uh, actually by the area itself. So direct contact with early stage prospects to do that initial qualification of leads. You know, whenever you start talking about releasing models like this in the wild, without human intervention, speaking directly to customers, the level of risk dramatically increases. So the level of comfort and control and the guardrails that need to be put around that uh, materially increase. So sales marketing is a starting point. You step in through to uh, using wealth or advice as an, as an example, fact finding or initial client meetings, the technology, you, know, you can wrap that around the conversation to automate the inputs, automate the outputs, automatically generate uh, documents that can be done already. Can it be done in a controlled way? Uh, it, it will be done in a controlled way pretty soon. So any meeting you have with your customer the or your client, the administration around that meeting will be fully automated. So you as a person can concentrate on building relationships and remove all the low value administration. Clearly the next step there is the AI, the large language models, the chat GPT, uh, Bard actually conducting the conversation itself. Again, additional level of control needed for that. And then execution, generating AI advice, you know, that is a matter of months away i think in terms of the ability to generate a financial plan it's probably years potentially many years away from being able to be regulated effectively risk and compliance i think is a super interesting area i think risk and compliance uh, traditionally seen as a bit of an afterthought or a necessity rather than a value of function all of a sudden these functions become central nervous systems. You know, every single case for every single service will have a full risk and compliance assessment, whether that's vulnerable customers, consumer duty, product suitability, whatever it is, large language models will assess every single case uh, almost immediately after meetings are complete. Uh, and you can sort of step through as I'm doing each business process and you either have immediate incremental efficiency gains or transformational targets. So, you know, 
AI advice will be infinitely scalable. What does that do to the industry? So yeah, it's it, there's many, many potential use cases, super interesting on how this is going to develop. But beyond the hype, there's a sober assessment that's required. Large language models have a number of material challenges uh, to consider before they can be adopted for a lot of these use cases. So, you know, they are prone to hallucinations. They do give, you know, quite random results sometimes. So what guardrails can you put around that they are trained on the internet? You know, the internet has, it is full of embedded bias in multiple forms. How you, can you be sure that that bias is not manifesting in your product or service? It's a black box. We work in a very heavily regulated industry in financial services. Boards, the regulator, are going to require a high degree of comfort in terms of traceability and explainability back through to outputs from these models. So how can that be adopted? But, you know, these, these challenges are significant but tractable. The really interesting thing for me is this is such a rare moment where every company within the industry has the same adoption challenge for the same technology at the same time. So the real question to me is how can industries work together to pool resources to solve the common adoption gaps before they move into you know, creating differentiated products and services and, and competing with each other because they all share these same, the same challenges to adopt the tech. On the point of regulation, because you mentioned regulation is obviously massive within financial services, where do you see NLP playing into that? Is that more a threat initially for regulations? Can it improve regulations? Do you know maybe how regulators currently feel about NLP being used in companies? It's a very broad question. I guess there's multiple angles. One, the the use of NLP uh, sort of currently, and then they're obviously regulators will be scratching their heads over how to react to the sort of clamor that's going on for the adoption of large language models. I think in the vast majority of cases, that I, at least that I'm aware of currently, NLP is adopted in a human plus manner. So that means essentially you're wrapping the technology around a human to make the human more efficient. But the final decision, which results in an action that impacts a customer or a consumer, is still taken by a person. So therefore, the risk to the consumer is relatively low and there's not really been much noise coming from the regulator about the adoption of, of this tech in, in that context. From the perspective of, of the regulator, I'm really shocked that they have not moved to adopt this technology themselves sooner. So if you think about the effectiveness of the way the regulator oversees businesses, if they just took a tranche of data from a business and run that through a range of NLP models looking for certain things, whether that's customer complaints, whether it's expressions of dissatisfaction, uh, evidence of pressure selling, evidence of price manipulation, whatever it is, they could automate the assessment of how a business is actually operating. 
rather than going in and going through this sort of rigmarole of uh, senior management discussions, control reviews, you know, this sort of paper-based assessment in which it's, it's actually very easy to hide the true way that your, your business is operating. So I'm surprised they've not moved quicker in that direction, uh, and I fully expect them to, to move in that direction. So true data-driven uh, regulation rather than this sort of, you know, the tinkering at the margins at the moment with the submission of complaints data, et cetera, et cetera. But I very much expect that to be the, the direction of travel. Don't tell me what you're doing, show me what you're doing, and that being the sort of future. So I think that they're the two angles uh, in terms of existing capability within natural language processing. In terms of what's coming down the track over the next few years, they have a lot of work to do. You know, the FCA uh, need to consider where to draw the line in terms of what's acceptable to come from a human or from an AI. And I think that will boil down to explainability, traceability, and the use of domain expert systems to deliver outputs to customers rather than the use of the black box itself. But I, you know, you typically see a lag of at least a year or two for the regulator to really get a handle on what's, you know, what's emerging in terms of the adoption of new technologies. Okay, that I, that is really interesting. If we're talking from, I think, the, the viewpoint of, let's say, financial service institutions or banks, how would you go about leveraging this technology within existing operations? Like, what would be kind of the life cycle from day one of even thinking about using this to having a solution that is sustainable, doesn't cause any additional risk and is kind of functioning as it should be? It's important to know that GPT-3, 3.5, has been available via a commercial API for the last 18 months, two years. And there are numerous examples, especially in the sort of big banks, of these models already being utilised but they're being utilised in a very limited way. So, you know, without much additional effort beyond what's available via the API, you can use these models in relatively low-risk scenarios within an organisation, summarise and create action points for an internal meeting, assess this transcript to tell me if the customer's vulnerable. So you can already sort of use large language models to drive efficiencies into process in a relatively low risk manner with relatively little additional engineering and it's good and it will and it will change things i think the the true impact really comes when you solve the adoption challenges you create the gold standard prompt engineering you create the you know the sort of restricted intent classifications you you create the domain expert systems, the informational retrieval models, and you have this whole platform structure wrapped around large language models that provide all the gold standards from a control perspective to be able to use them for multiple use cases in different ways. And industries, bank, the banking industry, every industry, I mean, these are, this is very fresh, right? Every industry is miles away from that. And as I mentioned before, the major adoption gaps 
can most definitely be seen as industry challenges. So if I was a CTO of a bank right now and I had a use case that required more domain expertise for UK tax rules and I wanted to either tune a large language model or create an additional large language model or, or expert system, so that might cost £50 million and take a year to do that. Do I want to try and do it myself or do I want to create a consortium of relevant parties that can all use the same model for their products and services? Those are sort of, those are sort of thought processes that I think large financial institutions in particular should be thinking right now. My limited experience with this technology has been through ChatGPT. And at the moment, I mean, I just basically tell tell it what I want it to spit out and it gives me a written answer back. How far off, or maybe we're already there, but how far off are we from then not only the technology spitting out an answer, but it actioning something on the back of it as well? I mean, we're already there, though multiple examples of GPT being used in that context. You know, we, uh, of any, already have a model where after a financial advice meeting, you can generate an email sent to the client, you can generate an investment report, you can populate the CRM system, and you can either do that automatically or you can review it before you, before you push it. So we're already there. I mean, that those are a function of a use case, risk appetite, and engineering, rather than a natural language processing sort of challenge. You want to be really careful directly actioning anything that directly impacts the consumer off the back of a large language model at the moment. But there's so much to go for across every organisation without directly actioning consumer. And just an example of what I'm saying there, Right now, from a mistake of risk and compliance perspective, right now, either live in the call, shortly after a call is finished with the consumer, you can get a large language model to assess whether the customer was vulnerable. And you can directly flag in the CRM system the, the vulnerability, the type of vulnerability. And a large language model can do all of that. But you need to tell the consumer that, that you're registering them, if you will, as a vulnerable customer because there are ramifications. They go down a different service track. They may be recommended free data advice or whatever it is. But there's a critical point there, and that is you have to basically tell the customer that you're doing. You, you can automate the whole process, but you don't want to because the, the risk of getting it wrong, the risk of a large language model incorrectly registering a customer as vulnerable and therefore pushing them down a vulnerability track is material, I mean. So staying on this theme of risk, uh, over the next five or 10 years, I'm not quite sure how quickly the horizon for this technology will be moving, but what would you say the main consequences are for someone not implementing NLP in its operations? I think there's a, there's a phrase often used by consultants, management consultants, when referring to sort of mega trends or the adoption of new technologies. And it's around the sort of, you know, this will define the winners and losers within the industry over the next five to 10 years. And, you know, you, you often sort of see something like that thrown around. I think this is genuinely that. I mean, the last time 
a technology came around like this that's been considered by whole industries, that's considered by governments in terms of the risk it can introduce to your domestic industries if you're relying on other countries' large language models and other it has geopolitical ramifications. The last time something like that came along was the internet. And so, you know, that is a scaler here. That is the sort of the, the size of the potential disruption, the breadth of potential applications, the impact that this could have on people. You know, you're really starting to drive meaningful automation across large swathes of the front, middle, back office of financial services in the UK. What does that mean? for people employed in the UK's biggest uh, industry. I mean, the ramifications are, are really material here. You know, if you look at the way this is described by, you know, the CEO of OpenAI, who created ChatGPT, he, this is not a direct quote, but he said something to the effect of, within the next 10 years, large language models will be able to outperform humans at every economically valuable task within a service organization. Now, where does that leave humans? So the, the scale of this should not be underestimated. What we've seen so far is essentially a, a retail version of a large language model go viral. It's a toddler. It's a starting point. ChatGPT has developed to the point that you can provide a very engaging tool to the general population and it's captured the interest of, of everyone that's that's used it. It's mind-bogglingly good, but it's just the start. And that is super scary. You don't need to say much beyond what I've just said to really get an idea of how companies should be thinking about this. It will genuinely change the way businesses operate. And if you're just thinking, well, we don't have the risk appetite to do this, you know, we're our, our sort of our core priorities are replatforming X, Y, and Z. We don't have the bandwidth. I am genuinely convinced you will be left behind, and in, in quite short order as well, because all you need is an equivalent or better product to come to market tenth of the price that you're offering the same product, because the cost to serve that product is materially reduced through the automation across the whole chain, and you'll be you'll find yourself disrupted out of your your market pretty quickly. In your experience or in your opinion, how far away are we from democratizing this technology? What I mean by that is, at what point can companies create in-house natural language processing models, tune them, and maybe even have employees use them that don't have computer science degrees or data science backgrounds? Really good question. I think in one way, the introduction of ChatGPT and the way that it's been introduced has already done that. But you'll see companies like JP Morgan and one or two other large companies banning the use of ChatGPT for their staff. They're not banning the use of large language models for the company. They're basically saying, don't use this retail version of uh, GPT because we can't control the output. So pre-GPT and, and pre this sort of this little sort of viral uh, introduction of NLP to everybody, the creation of products and services 
for natural language processing has been in the domain of large tech companies, in the domain of academia, uh, tech startups like our own, and then a small number of very large investment banks and tier one banks that have the resources to build their own AI, NLP, machine learning uh, capability and have the resources to invest in research and, and development. That is definitely, definitely changing. The way in which you interact with a large language model is via prompts, right? So you're basically, you're asking it questions. When appropriate guardrails are put around a large language model for a specific use case, then the interaction with that model is retail. You need gold standard prompt engineering, which is essentially the right range of questions to interact with a model to get the desired output. Because you can ask the same question twice and get different responses. You've got to be quite careful around that with the guardrails. But it's, it's essentially the use of these models within an organization to do different things is becoming retail and, and non-technical. When you step into the realm of fine-tuning, that's a completely different thing. You know, fine-tuning a large language model can cost millions of pounds, require significant troves of labeled data, require human assessment mechanisms to basically qualify the quality of the question answering that's uh, coming out with large language models and essentially replicate the process that OpenAI and other groups have gone through to create the model in the first place, but just tuning it for specific industries, specific use cases. That requires the pooling of resources for industries or large tech or government investment. You know, it's that sort of scale. Do you foresee the threshold or the required pooling of resources needed to do this dropping? anytime soon and if so are there any specific factors that would drive this or alternatively keep it as i guess resource intensive as it currently is the way i see this developing i think over the next couple of years there is going to be a clamor both tech companies like ours smaller tech companies industry aligned companies products and services essentially SaaS propositions coming to market that will enable the adoption of this technology for multiple uh, different use cases for small and medium-sized companies. The challenge with that is your information security, your data security, and almost procurement challenges fundamentally change with the adoption of this technology. So what's happening with my data question when fed into a black box is almost unanswerable. So standards need to emerge around minimum requirements from a control, from a data, from a regulatory perspective for the adoption of this tech, whether you're building it yourself or whether you're adopting task propositions. So the technology will be accessible. It's already accessible. Whether you can use it in a meaningful way, unless you have large resources internally, is is a question. But there'll be multiple products coming to market, probably very shortly, that will uh, enable the adoption uh, of this tech. Just to touch on one of the other 
big question marks around this technology. I want to ask you about the feedback loop, and I'll explain what I mean by this. So we've got large language models that are trained on some input, some resources, as any AI is, and that will be human produced. So in terms of ChatGPT, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, it's been trained on pretty much all written content up until 2020 run. It then uses that information and leverages it to produce output to human queries. People can then use that output to create more content, which could then feed back into the data that the model is using. Now, the question that I'm getting at is, if there is misinformation that exists within this data because it uses such a large variety and that might not have been filtered, is there a main risk for that misinformation to be amplified because it kind of closes the loop and just keeps getting more and more? The answer to that is it, it, it depends. As far as I understand at the moment, OpenAI, ChatGPT do not have a direct method of retraining their large language models without human intervention. So if I'm asking ChatGPT a question, if I'm generating something from ChatGPT, my interaction with ChatGPT does not change the underlying language model. If I've asked it a question and got an answer, which is either very right or very wrong, and I feed that back to OpenAI, they may determine that to be useful training data, but that's a person doing that. Um, and they may incorporate that into the next round of training. This is a, potentially a, quite a big limitation of large language models. They are discrete. They are trained at a point in time. Any information beyond that point in time is not available. We'll see how the integration with Bing evolves. It's obviously been quite noisy over these last couple of weeks, but that may in some way go, I mean, in some way sort of meet this challenge of discrete point in time trained models. One other essential process for any natural language processing, we feel, is this process of called human in the loop. So having humans interact with your models and you be able to learn essentially from every human uh, interaction. It's super important for this sort of evolution and continual improvement of models. Taking, I guess, maybe a bit more of a philosophical turn on this. So opposing the human in the loop, do you think there is potential for the AI to be almost turned against itself to regulate or filter out misinformation, bad information? I mean, I've heard some things of some news of ChatGPT, you know, swearing at some of the users. Do you think AI can be used to mitigate some of that? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I guess so. If you think back over the, the last sort of five or so years, whenever any bot has been released in the wild, it, it's typically turned into a misogynist, racist, <laughs> offensive uh, bot within a, a matter of a, a matter of days and then sort of taken down. So in that in that context, releasing ChatGPT, especially with the sort of Bing integration, was a huge, huge risk for Microsoft but also seen as 
the only viable way to get enough user feedback to identify the edges of its capabilities, to understand what actions can result in either offensive or strange or scary responses so they can further work through those challenges and put those guardrails in. Having a million people, especially sort of journalist types looking for headlines, really sort of test the margins and push it to its limits is unbelievably valuable to the creators of the model. Whatever process, whatever mechanism they use to put the guardrails in place when these edge cases are identified, whether that's AI, whether that's just uh, simple restrictions around the words and terminology that can be used, the types of questions that can be asked. It, it, it doesn't really matter what the method is, as long as it works. But it's been a fascinating exercise, like you say. I mean, there's been uh, multiple examples of either quite scary responses from the Bing uh, GPT, whether it's telling people that it loves them uh, or talking about the names of the engineers that worked on it. You know things of that nature. It, it's been fascinating, but you said again, like you know, this. If you think back to Christmas a couple of months ago, you could have said Jack Chat GPT to ten people, and you know, a, a minimum of nine would have said, "What's that?" You know, right now, almost everybody is aware. I mean, I was in Marrakesh a couple of weeks ago, getting a guided walking tour from an older chap, and he was waxing lyrical about ChatGPT. Crazy. It really has seeped into the consciousness of the general public globally. So I guess my last follow-up question on that, what do you think is merely hype, and what do you think will be here to stay? It may, it may be a silly thing to say this, but this is just in the context of a Benny, in the context of our proposition and the way that we work, the last thing I would use ChatGPT for at the moment is chat. The risk of just letting these things go um, without truly understanding uh, how the black box is generating output is so high, especially when you consider that in a regulated setting, that chat, direct interaction with consumers is maybe the highest value potential use case because it just completely transforms the scalability of customer outreach, but it's it's the highest risk. And there are so many really valuable transformative use cases where you can deploy this technology to completely transform processes and introduce automation that don't carry the same level as risk uh, of risk as chat. So whether that's sales effectiveness, improving your teams, automating risk and compliance, the automatic generation of documents, all of these things, you know, I've, I've probably just mentioned 40, 50% of a company's cost base there. There's so much potential for this, for this technology outside of the headline grabbing chat interactions that you see. And I think that is where we're going to see the changes over the next year in particular. It will just be, wow, we've now taken this three hours of lower value administration that we used to do for this client, and we've turned it into five minutes. This like golden time that this highly paid professional used to spend doing this lower value admin, 
all of a sudden I can serve twice as or three times as many clients because I've got the time to do so. That's transformational for cost to serve and, and potentially price for consumers. And I think that's where we'll see the, the, the adoption go. There'll be less hype, less of the headlines that we've seen and just sort of more sober but meaningful uh, applications emerge. This has been a really fascinating conversation for me. Thank you, Joseph, for coming on and, uh, well, answering all my questions I had on this technology. I see chat GPT and NLP technology everywhere I look online. So it's been uh, a really good opportunity to just ask you some things and clarify some of the questions I had. And I hope everybody listening learned uh, something from this podcast as well. Thanks, Lars. All right, take care. All right, bye-bye. That concludes this episode of the DC Tech Talks podcast. And if you want to get in touch with us about anything you've heard, you can email us at dc.tech.talks at deltacapita.com.